call it. Welcome to episode 93 of Call It Friend, or the podcast where usually two friends watch two films decided by the flip of a coin. This week, myself and DJ Richie, my co-host Annika Tiernan, watched Black Panther Wakanda Forever. As always, the podcast contains spoilers for the film right from the start. Check out JustWatch.com for streaming and rental options in your region. Not for Black Panther, obviously. You have to go to the cinema to see that. You can find us on Instagram at Call It Friend, or podcast. Drop us a line there for any feedback or recommendations. Peace. Hello. Is it me you're looking for? Yes. Okay, good. Well, you found me. Well, uh, do you want to talk about what films we've watched? <laughs> yeah, that's the kind of <laughs> intro I enjoy. We're not having conversation. We were just talking about Jordan Belfort. Yeah, we were. Andy doesn't like him. Neither I like do him. I, but I like him as a, mo- a film character. I don't know. I think I tell you what bothered me the most about Wolf of Wall Street is the scene where Leo is like, he's taking quaaludes or whatever, and he's staggering around. The big famous scene. Yeah, that one. Is yeah. that the famous scene? I, it's quite famous in the okay. film, yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't like it. Why not? I don't know. I'm it not just... mad about it either, by the way, but I, I, I'm just curious. You seem to have a specific just, dislike. Yeah, it was, it was so slapstick. It just it fell over the top. It felt like it was going on too long. I actually do in agree with you. a film that is already too long. Uh, I... I yeah, I, I would say the film is too long. I think I think uh, the last few years have proven now that um, Martin Scorsese is cashing in his chips in uh, in terms of uh, running lengths. Fair He's enough. Just going, yeah, which, fair enough, by all means. And I've seen The Irishman. The Irishman didn't bother me time Three times now, and uh, I do love it. The For me, in a film that's already too long, I wouldn't even relate the Quaalude scene to that. I just don't think it fits. I, I, ju- I just think it's... It feels like it belongs in a hangover movie or something. Well, that's what I was saying in our conversation before of just like, it's it's too fun <laughs> for Wolf Jordan Belfort. Yeah, too much fun. This guy's a cunt. But there's darkness on, on the edge of town in it. I, I feel like you can... The last days of Rome shit that uh, Scorsese said all around the promotion for that movie, I do feel you can see it in it. Like, there's a wonderful scene near the start where um, Donnie, I think, is uh, Seth... Um, Seth is that actor's name. Jonah no, Hill. Jo- yeah, Jonah Hill. Why is it? Uh, Seth, Seth is Jonah him Hill. in Superbad. Yeah, Donnie's his name in the film. And he meets um, Jordan Belford in some bar in New Jersey. And <laughs> he says, uh, if you uh, tell me that that's your car out front right now, I'll uh, I'll quit my job. I'll go work with you straight away. And uh, then the two of them go out back at this shitty bar and smoke crack together. And it's, I don't know, I just think it's a really funny, interesting scene, which is true. It's a real thing that happened. Both of them confirmed that story, which just speaks volumes. <laughs> yes, I don't know. I'd just rather I'd go for the, like, Glengarry, Glen Ross, bring a bit more nuance into things. Oh, well, if you're looking for that side of things, I'd yeah. even go... Or even, um, like, Boiler Room, I mean, on a lesson Margin scale. Call, you Margin, Margin Call, Call, sure, sure. Margin Call is probably my favourite of the bunch. That one's good. It's a good film. I still, I use a line from Margin Call regularly in work and people don't know it's from Margin Call. Is it where you say, is this a margin call? Yes. Is that call on the margin? No, I use um, the Jeremy Irons line. If somebody's explaining something too complicated, I say, as if you're talking to a toddler or a Labrador. No, 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 sorry. As if you're talking to a Labrador or a small child. That's the line. 
That's good. Uh, you remember in a previous episode, we found out that Jeremy Irons has one of the best uh, voices ever. How did Jeremy we find Ar- that? It was like, there was, I can't remember. I agree. I can't remember. There was some research done and it was a mix between Jeremy Irons and Alan Rickman was like the ideal male voice. In terms of being sexy. I can't fucking remember. No, just best. So what have you been watching? Well, we both watched the same thing. Maybe we should talk about that. Remember when we went to the cinema? Do oh, do you want to open with that? Oh, cool. That'll be fun because it's quite fresh in the memory. Yeah, exactly. One of my favorite films of all time, definitely for many years, was my number one. I watched it to death. It's It had been a few years. Watched it again in the cinema with you. Let's give a shout out to Sam Peckinpah's The Wild Bunch. How good is that shit? It was amazing. I just, uh, first of all, was that a 4K screening? What was that? I don't know. It was definitely a better quality than I've ever seen that film. In. It looked good. Like, I mean, the quality was good, but there were certain scenes where they're yeah. shot from distance and you're like, oh, that looks a bit ropey. But I mean, it's a film from 1969, I think was the key point there. Oh, you're just, you're even just you talking about it is put me right back <laughs> in the cinema right now because... I think I was so caught up in the story and the ballsiness of it when I overwatched it that I didn't quite, like, how good is the craft on that film? Sound it's, design and cutting yeah. and from the opening scene. Yeah, the opening scene, the big shootout oh at the start. God. There's like, so many angles. There's so that's there's so many setups there to just capture. You've got, like, the gang together. walking into town, then the guys on top of the, the building shooting down, all the stuff that's going on inside the bank. The um, people who don't drink. Yeah, the uh, temperance. The temperance union, yeah, yeah. And it's just cutting. And man, I noticed this time, I'd never noticed before, of course, the sound in Phenomena in Barcelona is phenomenal. There's a heartbeat going through that scene. Mm -hmm. Did you notice that? Mm -hmm. Oh my God. And the action, like, it, while it can't keep up with the frenetic pace of the pastiche action of something like John Wick or something these days, the fact that it's so involved and emotional and character driven is just, it just gets you up there for it. But I would like, I'll, by the way, for people who haven't seen it, Sam Peckinpah's The Wild Bunch, just, I mean, it's the, for me, it's the definitive guys on a mission movie. I think it feels like, it feels, this is a crazy thing to say, but it feels like the wire of Westerns in terms of like, in terms of like, it's so, it's so nuanced. I was like, gonna say that it's so I was literally it's gonna dark say that. as fuck. Yes, you've got real characters who are willing to sell people out, like for realistic reasons. They're like, "Well, that fuck that guy then, obviously, yeah, because yeah, he's yeah. dead." So we're gonna have to leave him behind. But like in the most realistic way, where it's kind of questioned. Some guy like, sells out his grandson in the middle of yeah, the yeah, yeah. He knows his grandson's dead. He's like, "Did he yeah, do all right?" Yeah, exactly. I mean, ah, that is like oh, but the, like and the the brutality of it. Yeah. Um, at certain points. But then when you reach, when it's, this is the, the the thing that made me note that it was like the wire of Westerns is when you get your Marlowe's, Mapache, yeah. meeting your Wild Bunch, who's your Omar's, and like uh, Ernest Borgnine says, goes, uh, but it's who you give it to. It's who you give your word to. Yeah. You know, it's like the, the last dying days of the West. It's heartbreaking. That walk, when William Holden gets up from his hoor, and the two boys are next door who are great comic actors in the yeah, film, yeah, by the yeah. way. And there's actually great comedy in the film. And that walk is just... Yeah, it's marching to, marching to their death. It's a certain death because it's the right thing to do. And they're just going to do it. Do you have a favorite moment in the movie? This was only my second time seeing it. I think I watched it on VHS. Like, oh, I've seen it so many times. In the 90s. Times. I'd, 
I think it was a thing that really suffered from seeing it on like a videotape. I, I seeing it. It's in a very cinematic screen, movie. I mean, woof, it was a completely different thing. I remember I read a book. I read a book on this film. It might be the one I have at home. I have a book at home. I don't what know. is it? Is it the? It's just called the Wild Bunch. Mm. I definitely, I remember like a ton of insight into just how dark it was, but it's been a long time since I've thought about the Wild Bunch. And I definitely, I didn't appreciate it for what it was until seeing it this time again and going like, fucking hell, more than 50 years later, this film looks like it could have been made a lot more recently than 1969, let's say. But The performances, the way people hold their guns, mm. the way people approach a shot, the music, the slow-mo, in particular, there are two things that, um, w- one that I definitely did know from before, uh, which is my favorite moment in the movie. I was waiting for it and it arrived and it didn't disappoint. It's when they fire the first shots in the final shootout. Right. And they, they pause and they kind of go, what the fuck's going to happen now? And Ernest Vortnine gives out his big laugh because there's a few explosive laughs in the movie. Yeah. Uh, and they're very fun. They're infectious when you're watching them. Like the boys start laughing when they take all the whiskey so Warren Oates doesn't have anything. And by the end of them laughing, you're laughing. But like, that's such good cinematic grammar. It's the fourth time in the movie that they've done that thing looking around and eventually everybody starts laughing. And when they get there, they shoot the first guy and everybody... All the, like there's just this army there because it's such a stupid thing to do what they do. So the army are kind of like, what are we just gonna we gonna shoot you guys? Is that what we're gonna do? And then the boys start looking around. <laughs> That's the thing though. It's I think amazing. I think you can totally buy it though, like that reality. Yeah, yeah, of like, totally. What the fuck are we like realizing you have to go through with it? But like they're such hard cunts. And then as well, the car, the arrival of the car on the scene reveals that it is at the very least yeah, it's 1912. Like, it's, it's yeah, it's supposed to be 1913. Is it 1913? Yeah, it's like... Because they mentioned the war. They're talking about the First World War. There's a German guys who are there. They're not talking about the First World War. Are they not? No, they're talking about a different war. Well, I guess they're about to find out. No, they're talking about the war in Mexico. Mexican-American yeah, war yeah. or just Mexican war? Mexican Civil War. Oh, okay. But do you know what's great? Before I skip on to my other favorite thing that we both agreed on about this film, uh, the fact that... Because I remember you laughed about it too. It must be because he was a war veteran, but um, maybe he got a chance to influence Sam Peckinpah, but Sam Peckinpah was also a war reference. Who's the first person that William Holden shoots in the whole uh, massacre? The German cunt. Oh, that's right. <laughs> it's just a German guy. It's funny. And I can't think of a character motivation why he would have done that. There were so many Second World War veterans in the film. There's a ton yeah, of them. Well, yeah, it's just everyone had served, but like served to, you know, not just going and doing like, yeah, hey, sure. we, I'm co- doing we, we like covered fucking, some of them. Yeah, before. I know Ernest Borgnine. Like, there's a bunch of people. They they did like real shit. They got medals. They killed a bunch of people. But as we talked about over the credits, um, Sam Peckinpah had Ernest Hemingway's attitude to women. Yeah, which was just like, man, if women weren't around to fuck things up, <laughs> it would just be lads having He's fun, having a, <laughs> having a gay old time <laughs> on his own. Like, it's very pointed the fact that the person that brings uh, William Holden down in the end is a woman shooting him from behind and he turns around and goes, you <laughs> bitch, and shoots her in the but that's stomach. even, <clears throat> you saw that all the way through to like the 80s at the very least. Well, like people getting shot pe- by, no, no, just in general, like people getting shot by women and going like, all right, or like shooting women and going like, all right, all right, darling. Have you ever read um, the Hemingway short story, The the Short Happy Life of Francis McComber? No. It's this wonderful short story 
This guy who's a meek guy is off shoot, game shooting with his uh, wife in Africa. And she's just a bully and she just disgraces him and cooks him at every turn. And uh, when they're having their siesta or whatever, she sneaks off and rides the game hunter. And uh, then the perspective switches to the game hunter feeling bad about shagging the wife and he's taken um, Francis McCumber on a hunt and Francis McCumber has just fucking just lost all respect for the world and uh, he faces on a, a white rhino that's charging him head on to shoot him down and like he dies just at the end of the story but it's like you know the title implies it all it's like the finally uh, Francis McCumber got free of his wife and he was just like <laughs> at last the short happy life anyway yeah you love The Wild Bunch? I love The Wild Bunch. What else do we watch? Well, I watched uh, the 2001 film Conspiracy. Love it. I'm a fan. This is Kenneth Branagh, right? Yeah, Kenneth Branagh is Renard Heydrich, your favorite uh, member of the Third Reich. He's one of my favorites. You're Top five. I'm not surprised there. Yeah, it's a reenactment of the 1942 Vansi Conference, uh, which sought to find uh, a final solution to the Jewish question of the Third Reich. This film has a very special place in my heart because it was kind of my gateway introduction to, I don't know, uh, how philosophically interesting Nazi Germany was. Uh, go on. I'll let you continue on this. Well, I had known what the Holocaust was. I had visited a concentration camp by the time I'd saw, seen Conspiracy. It could actually be the film that properly got me into history in general. Wow. Because after I watched it, and, you know, they've got that, we'll go into the plot, well, it's basically about the planning. I mean, there's nothing the, else to say. It's literally just the... The planning the, of the final solution. Yeah, that's it. And when it went, it goes into the postscript, it tells you that there was one minute, one set of minutes kind of saved, but this is the only thing on yeah, record only document. of it. And so, like, and it kind of exploded in me, the fact that the Nazis had a sense of history themselves. And they would they had the prediction that if they won, this would be still something they wouldn't want people to know. And that to me was fascinating. And it did like as far as a gateway drug into just uh, learning about history and I don't know, it kind of put to me the humanity of historical figures, which was very it, it genuinely it was around this time I, I got really, really into history and I was just finishing off my English literature course. And that is when I got into history, and I credit this movie massively with it. Well, off of the back of this, I've gone out and got hold of the 26-part World at War series, the 1970s. Ah, that's great. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. But you can go deeper. Oh, I'm sure. Hey, listen, <laughs> I don't want to go too... I just wanted a good documentary series, and I thought World at War will do. Because there's nice Blu-ray copies out there from your local Blu-ray retailer. There but, are. They've but anyway, going back to Conspiracy, we've got, apart from uh, Kenneth Branagh, you've got Colin Firth, Stanley Tucci. Mm, Stanley Tucci it, yeah. is Adolf Eichmann. He's yeah. on top form. Uh, I the person I thought was the best was David Threlfall, who we've talked about before. Yeah, from Master and Commander, and he's Frank Gallagher from the British Shameless. He was Friedrich Kritzinger, the guy who's sort of like I'm not on board. Yeah, although I think anyone who was at the Wanzi conference has to be sort of like, well, at least okay. slightly on board. Well, okay, mate. <laughs> <laughs> you got a lot of promotions. Twist Let's my arm, buddy. <laughs> Let's just say that. You were up there. Um, no, I, I, it was a, uh, oh, I'll tell you who else is in it. Tom Hiddleston. In, I think wow. it might be his first film role. He's, he's on the phone at the start and the end. Huh. But yeah, such a, a solid cast. 
there was part of me just like prior to watching it that was going like, is this going to be that interesting? Just a bunch of guys having a meeting. But, but it is. Fuck. It's an important film, I would even say. And I hate that word, but I do think yeah. it is important. I think more people should see it. Because, like I said, what it what it did for me, it it made you realize that it demystifies the Third Reich in a very important way. Yeah. It shows you that they... They, they, they knew this was not on. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's not that it, yeah, exactly. They knew what they were doing. And here's the thing is like most of the people in the room were like trained lawyers and they understood that they were just taking the law and smashing it to pieces and going like, we're going to do whatever the fuck we, whatever the Fuhrer says, whatever we want to do will be done. And it's mad coincidence, of course, that you uh, watched this this week, because this week also I read a book that I believe you read years yeah, ago. Yeah, Fatherland's classic. What? And I only saw Robert Harris's Fatherland. Absolutely fantastic. It's got to be the fastest I've read 400 pages in yeah, it's a while. A great, it's a great book. Um, I can't believe, well, no, I couldn't believe at first that they hadn't um, properly adapted this. And they did one adaptation of it. Yeah. With, I doubt um, they had the budget. With what's his name? Rucker Hauer and uh, Miranda Richardson or something. It was like a 1994 HBO. I'm not going to go back to. to I, watch I watched it. it. It was crap. The a lot of the um, Robert Harris adaptations have been a bit crap. The one that was good, I, I liked the Ghostwriter or whatever that was called. The oh, the Roman Polanski one. Yeah, yeah he's, he's good. He's good. Roman Polanski, McGregor, Robert Harris. And then he also did the. I haven't seen the other one, but the the French, Officer and the Spy. Yeah, Officer and the Spy, but. Uh, yeah, because um, uh, Me Too finally caught up with Ron Polanski. It's the kind, other of, a, Robert it's kind Harris, of a cancelled film, I, I believe. The other Robert Harris novel I really enjoyed was um, Archangel. Have you read that one? I've heard that's great. That's the one um, set in Soviet Russia, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. And there's a they adapted that starring Daniel Craig, but it's a bit, again, it's like, eh, just do you know. I remember uh, listening to a, I remember listening to a quote from that talking about comparing Robert Harris's theorizing in that to the rise of Vladimir Putin and talking about how, yeah. you, how you could create a similar the, idea. The, the next Hitler with the ashes of the Soviet Union. Yeah, to say that <laughs> I got so into Fatherland. And I'm not surprised. But like... It is. It's, it's just a great book. I mean, it is. It's like... Uh, that's one of my favorite genres. We talked about alternate this before. history. Yeah, yeah. It, it I love had time me thinking travel, about uh, station. History. Yeah, station eleven. It had me thinking about station eleven. Mm-hmm. Um, why, because it's a special skill to do that well. It's it's one of the reasons. I mean, we have this kind of thing in common, obviously, because maybe my number one film of all time is um, Children of Men. Yeah. and I know that's what well, it is Not, an alternate yeah. history in its own way, but. The thing that's so attractive about that is, is dystopia is yeah. the way the film it makes it recognizable. You feel like mm-hmm. that's my world, maybe with a few tweaks. Uh, yeah, conspiracy is fantastic. You made me want to watch it again. To be honest, I'd recommend it. I mean, it, it was like a made-for-TV HBO thing. It's directed by Frank Pearson, who did the 1970s *Star Is Born*, and he <laughs> oh. wrote uh, *Cool Hand Luke* and *Not Bad*, *Dog Day Afternoon*. Not bad. Yeah. This was towards the end of his life, and he he did this HBO film. But I mean, it was obviously something that you know was. But like I said, there are there there legitimately are in terms of historical education, there are important films. I I really do believe that. Like I I think there's a HBO also a HBO film. It's called um, Sometimes in April. It's about the Rwandan genocide. Idris Elba's in Mm. it, and um, it really does display to you the over seven days 
change that overcame that country, whereby like suburbs were turned to Macheteville and everything became very dangerous very quickly over the the reign of some radio broadcasts basically is how okay. it w- would have happened but I mean that's I I think that's an important film I think uh, what was the name Sometimes in April Sometimes in I... April it's called it's very good I watched the end of an important series which I'll chime in on very briefly I watched uh, as I mentioned last week when you start watching The Wire it's very difficult to stop watching The Wire it's very much the wild bunch of TV series <laughs> there you go yeah but it automatically brought me back to my former uh, philosophy on TV shows. Like, no, it's got to be one series at a time where you lose the je ne sais quoi, so to speak. But one advantage to watching The Wire Season 5, which is the one that when for those... You know what? If you're listening, you haven't watched The Wire by now, you're not gonna. Or if you do start to watch it, you're not, you're, you're you're not gonna remember. You won't remember this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's the series where McNulty fakes a serial killer and the newsroom features. One thing that I had pre... See, I had previously called bullshit on the Hamsterdam thing, but and particularly that season, but then I'd listened to that audiobook, well, the oral history of The Wire, read up on the case on which Hamsterdam was based, and also that moves the, the show nicely, that, that season. And then getting to season five, actually... McNulty faking the serial killer thing is a good end to his arc. And I never quite realized it before, but it it literally put... The system pushes him so far that he goes to the other side of the moral curtain and he forgets that it's about life and death and he starts using bodies. And at the end of it, he goes back to Beatty, which is nice to see. That's in the final montage. And, you know, Lester gets his payoff. Lester is in on that part of it as well. The politicians are disbelieving completely. The only part that lets it down, the newsroom stuff lacks the nuance that yeah, the sh- that made the no, show, that made no the entire nuance. show, and it sucks. It really sucks. It not just sucks compared to the wire. It fucking sucks. The only characters in the entire thing are the two higher ups, are, are <laughs> the baddies, evil bastards, and yeah. your man. What's his name? You know, Gus. Tom McCarthy. Oh, Gus. Tom McCarthy. No, no, no. no. Is, Tom, Tom, is Tom McCarthy Sorry. is um, just a dick. What's his character called? Scott. Scott, Scott yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Templeton, yeah, yeah. And it blows. It uh, Every time you arrive into the newsroom, you go, oh, we're not watching The Wire anymore. That's because, yeah, like, you you capture, they capture Sucks. some of those those moments of, like, because, like, William Zorzi's playing himself. You've got a bunch of other people around who are they're 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 sharing their sort of um, knowledge from their experience of working in newsrooms, and that's all great and stuff. But then, obviously, those those bosses are just portrayed in such a I, I, it's such a kind of I've heard David Simon interviewed sense. on the subject, and he's. Still better about it. Even when he was making the deuce, he made a comment about that particular uh, takeover by an LA newspaper. And I, I just think it, yeah, it didn't, it it didn't a, serve the series well. Maybe it was a problem by writing about his own trade. Something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What but, else you got anyway? Fuck well, I, mine were just rewatching things anyway. So again, similar to you, I, I, I rewatched three things. I'm halfway through Eastbound and Down rewatch. Hell finished yeah. season two. Hell yeah. I, that is a season show. Season one, at, at the very least. It's been a long time since I watched series season two. I watched season one last year in the run-up to my wedding with my younger brother. Late at night, as my soon-to-be wife was sleeping upstairs with her baby. Me, me and my younger brother just downstairs, just cackling at Eastbound and Down season one. I think it's a show that might have actually aged better. Just oh. because it like pushes... 
it does it, push it goes, boundaries. It goes way far. The relationship between him and the teacher who hero worships him is the Stevie. Stevie is the gold of the series because Stevie is definitely he's not all there. Like like he's being taken advantage of by Kevin E. Powers. It's kind of one of the show drivers. Also, Will Ferrell is amazing in it. Yeah, there's there's actually I mean I think the surprising part is how much depth there is to it because it's also like you know it's clearly comedy first but it lets his characters get into really dark moments and uh yeah you end up for even for characters that you're not really supposed to like you're not supposed to like kenny paris he's no 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 no, no 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 it's he's one a of dickhead. the best things about the show but when he's sitting around being all sad about whatever situation he's got himself into it's hard not to feel sorry for just because you're like danny mcbride is funny and oh, he's and- able to sort of Get some kind of sympathy from the audience. What's the name of um, your man from Deadwood who's in it? Uh, who he lives um, with? John Hawks? Yes, and John Hawks, John Hawks just tolerates him. His wife hates Kenny, but Kenny just stands around abusing hospitality. I mean, I don't know, it works. Something about, and I think this, most of the characters that he ends up playing, something about what Danny McBride delivers. It's like a, a Jack Black Genesee Qua. It's just like that's bottled Danny McBride. Nobody else can I do that. I think what they do quite well with the character is like he's extremely blunt in a way that even though he's unlikable... You're actually right, yeah. He almost becomes likable because there's no question... There, there's there's no question about what he actually wants. Like, his motives are always extremely clear. Yeah, yeah. So I think at a certain point, people are like, well, he's just a character. Yeah, 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 and they kind of like go like, oh, okay, and at least he's being at least sometimes he he pulls off the Larry David effect of thank you. At least somebody said it. Yeah, even yeah, if yeah, you're yeah. a he's, dick, he's very he, honest. He's extremely honest. You motherfucker! Like he'll say something like that. Yeah. Which again, like nowadays, putting it into the modern perspective is like whoa, 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 whoa. Like it feels, it doesn't feel like there's a lot of people walking around talking like Kenny Paris, that's probably for the best. Probably, but this yeah. this show would not get made. And I know people say that all the time, like, this would not get made. But Eastbound and Dying, like, HBO wouldn't put their resources towards no, a no, project no way, like no, this. No way. No it's way. It's too wild. Yeah, it's far too wild for, like, a modern I mean, it's modern like, the main character who you sometimes end up rooting for is openly homophobic. Like, a lot. Yeah, homophobic, <laughs> racist, misogynistic... <laughs> <laughs> but a comedy genius like yeah. he's so funny but you're not supposed to i mean it's very clear at all times that he's you're a, not he's supposed an to arsehole. be on board with what he's doing but i think that kind of nuance has been lost and i understand i mean politically what things happened and you well, know the world the... has moved on a long time the first episode the first season was 2009 so many things have happened since then in terms yeah, that of was social the world media of the and things like that. That was essentially the world of The Office. The Office would have been, what, 2003? Yeah, 2002, 2003. A weird kind of anti-hero. Yeah, but that's all gone. That's gone now. What else do you have? Um, I have two more things. One is a shit horror film that's interesting for nobody else except if you're into shit horror films. Uh, it's called Mother's Day. Uh, directed by Charles Kaufman, not that guy. Uh, if you are interested in odd Freudian cabin in the woods hybrids, watch it. There's interesting ideas in it. It was, you know, it was weird. When's People, this from? Uh, 1980. Um, well, why did you choose to watch this? Because you have other options. You got things going on. 
I like learning about the history of sla- slashers above all other genres. You Not thought like, it was going to be about Mother's Day. You just wanted you wanted to learn about the I wanted, history I wanted of some Mother's ideas, Day. Yeah. Um, no, no, no. It's genuinely just kind of history of horror movie stuff. It's not great, but it it does have odd, interesting, sometimes gory ideas. And kind of, the be- it's one of those films that the beauty of it is it, it's aiming to be commercial. They didn't have much money, but it made its money back and then some because the 80s was a time when you could kind of do that. Interesting to watch if you're interested in that kind of thing. But I wouldn't focus too much on that one because the other one that I want to talk about is the one that its director commented me back on Instagram oh, yeah. after I rewatched Old uh, uh, Neil Marshall. One of my favorite horror movies ever. And I called it in my comment uh, a horror masterpiece, a statement I would stand behind. 2005's The Descent, his second film. I recommend this to anybody who says they like horror movies. And one or two people have come back to me afterwards saying they didn't like it and i who doesn't like the descent i just wrote them off in my head i'm like you're not a horror film fan it's so perfect it's a perfect movie you get to know the characters in five minutes there's a little sharpness in the group you realize just by a look that that american lady had sex with the main character's wife she's from america exactly and then they go down a cave the lady hides the maps they go down a different cave and you're like man it's on like donkey kong but then you just get some of the most memorable scares in horror movie history and i would include i would say the number one scare in horror movie history jump scare some great ones one the number one you know what i'm talking about yeah because we spoke about it in a previous episode i think we did two weeks ago but still even if we i could describe it intricately to you right now listeners if you haven't seen it if you have seen it, you know what i'm talking about if you haven't seen it it still would not prepare you for how scary this is (laughs) me and my wife have seen this film like five or six yeah 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 yeah. every single time i'm like oh Oh. fuck because i know it's coming yeah yeah and it just fucks you up it's so terrifying. It's so well executed. It's well done. You, it's it's uh, great makeup. Whatever they have, the creature effects. designs are literally the stuff of nightmares. They, like they might have concentrated on nightmares for six months to try and describe them, uh, to, uh, design them so terrifyingly. But then also you've got a gut punch of an ending to rival the mist. Like it's such a fucking. Wow, that's a that's a. That's a key point for this film is there are multiple versions. I've heard that. I've never seen any other than okay. So the bummer. Spoilers for the descent, but there are multiple cuts. So uh, the original ending and the true ending, that as far as I'm aware, is that the main character believes that she's got out of the out of the cave. She goes back to her car, and then something weird happens or whatever, and then she wakes up and she's still lying. In the cave, and the camera. She doesn't pulls quite up. wake. What up. happens? The audience realizes she's. She did, yeah, right, right. So we realize, but then she's still in the cave, right? Yeah, yeah. So the, the audience realizes she's hallucinating be- because she pulls over the car after she thinks she's escaped ah, to try and collect okay. herself, and then next to her in the seat is her daughter. Her daughter's there, offering right, her right, a birthday right, right. cake. Yeah, and then you you see her like she's with her daughter in the cave with the cake. Yeah, around. you're not talking into your mic, but all right. And the creatures are gathering around, and yeah. yeah. But then um, the ending that was shown in the US market cuts before that reveal. So it's just her back in the car and she's escaped and that's the end. And that's the reason they got permission to make a sequel, isn't it? Yeah. So the sequel... I've never seen the sequel. I've heard it's I, I, I think a in betrayal. The, 
the sequel, I think, leads off of that. The, the sequel definitely leads off that she got out. Like, the fact is, I mean, I've seen the sequel. I saw it within the last couple of years, and already I can't remember it because it was a piece of shit. It was made by someone else. It wasn't Neil, Neil Marshall. Although Neil Marshall's career has not gone. Well, know, I he mean, spends all his time liking your Instagram comments. <laughs> That's a problem. No, I mean, you say that, but Neil Marshall, of course, has directed some of the most celebrated episodes of the most oh. successful television show of all time. Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He directed um, The Battle of the Blackwater, The Battle of the Bastards. I support Neil Marshall. He's a, a Scottish uh, Yeah, Scot- yeah, and I, I really like at least three of his films, and I've only seen three of his films, and I like them, so. Which, what have you seen? Dog Soldiers, The Descent. Oh, yeah, I've seen Dog Soldiers. And um, Doomsday. Doomsday. That's the one with Maureen Comston, right? yeah. And I really like it. An accurate portrayal of modern Scotland. <laughs> I believe that's what it's supposed to be. It's yeah. a Ken Loachian a kind documentary. Of thing about, uh, Very similar. It's a sequel to Sweet 16, actually. Yes, yeah, about five. Yeah. But yeah, The Descent. The Descent. Check Seek out, it out The Descent. Well, I've got some equ- uh, equally uh, unknown properties to discuss. So just to, uh, very quickly, I rewatched Interstellar for, in uh, 4K. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. And all I wanted to say about that was visually amazing. Incredible. Space sequences. Poor world building. Which world? Earth. Earth. What, as in what's actually going on with the climate? That Boring kind of thing. as fuck. Not really much of a concept of what the world is aside from corn. Turn up and get like coordinates. That's actually and go a very like, good point. I've get, never thought of that. Get random coordinates, which have been sent back from from Matthew McConaughey to himself. Turn up at NASA. Oh, by the way, this is NASA, and we're still doing stuff. Even though the teacher says to to uh, to his daughter that NASA's not real, we never landed on the moon. Blah 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 blah. I don't know. There's just there's it just feels so generic there's so much bad dialogue it honestly feels like a pivotal film for christopher nolan when you look at tenet and now i feel like next year is going to be a big question mark of like is he still going to make good films i'm is oppenheimer going to be good or not i am so interested i wouldn't say excited but i'm so interested in oppenheimer what a weird thing to make a film about oh yeah because you just reminded me of the one other thing i have to talk about and i'll talk about it quickly what a weird thing to make a film about but the thing that has me thinking about it is because this week i watched this amazing hour and 20 minute long documentary Uh, it's just an interview with Cormac McCarthy, it's called Couldn't Care Less. It's him and David Krakauer, um, who's a Nobel Prize-winning physicist. I only know because I watched the documentary. But basically, okay, so Cormac McCarthy is my favorite writer. Uh, he wrote is it just because of his name. No, just checking. I love some of his books. Love all of the books that I've read of his, all of them. But some in particular have me responding. But I mean, he all, he wrote the book. On which the, uh, no country for the podcast men. is based, <laughs> basically. Yeah, yeah, on which uh, No Country for Old Men is based. But he just hangs around with, like, uh, physicists and mathematicians and scientists and in this uh, place called the Santa Fe Institute. And it's a 77-minute it's a, it's a conversation about science, architecture, existentialism, philosophy, um, the various practitioners of it. And during it, they talk about Oppenheimer for about 20 minutes. And it was the first thing that kind of got me thinking about, because 
<laughs> this is how shallow and stupid I am. This is how little I could hold a, up a conversation with Cormac McCarthy. Whenever I had heard previously that uh, after the atomic bomb test, Oppenheimer had said, um, I am become destroyer of worlds. I am become, become death, death destroyer of worlds. worlds. Yeah, yeah. That's the I only thought, thing I know. <laughs> I thought, what a fucking douche. But they described these stories of when he was in his like early MIT lectures, the lecturers were, and he would have been like 17 years old because he, he got in early. He just had to get out of high school. He was so smart. The uh, lecturers were up uh, doing quantum physics uh, equations on the board and they would there would be campaigns to get Oppenheimer kicked out of the class because periodically he would go up and say, no, no, fucking, and literally do the okay, equation correct. Like he was a pathologically smart person but he also just read and read and read literature and art, knew everything about everything he also used to, i heard he used to always like go up and do jokes at the front of the class really yeah but you know what happened huh? he bombed oh i'm sorry but please but he go was back big to in japan, japan i heard I, yeah. I did well in japan <laughs> he's very big in japan um he was there twice he did uh but yeah, I, uh, anybody who's halfway of... Uh, it's, it's the opposite of the highly disappointing interview with Oprah Winfrey that Cormac McCarthy did, <laughs> which fucking sucks, to be honest. Uh, a big deal was made of it of the When time. was that? I have no idea. After The Road, uh, 2011, maybe, I After think. the book? Or the, yeah, 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 The Road. I don't... I was, just no, the, yeah, the I was book, thinking the, the film. I was thinking yeah, the film. Yeah, yeah, it fucking good. sucked. But then you just... It's so cool to see him as a writer is not interested in writing or other writers at all. Just science and it just he's just got such naked curiosity. As just a human, it's interesting to see him talking for two hours. Uh, I, I highly recommend that to anybody slightly curious, and it got me excited about the Oppenheimer film. So, Which is coming out, I believe, in July, mm. 23rd of July. The trailer's still ongoing. <clears throat> well, have you, you seen that? No. There's a live trailer. It's just the same. It's a, a loop playing. Oh, okay. Very smart. Smart, that guy. Yeah. Well, the last thing I watched, uh, rewatched a film I've seen a million times, rewatched Lost in Translation. Hell yeah. Was it nice? I think it's, we've talked about this before, but there's some films that as you age, when you rewatch them, they kind of stay the same. Huh. But there's films which I guess are maybe tied either to the place and the time that they come from or the place and the time that you come from has changed. Where you were when you watched them first. Yeah, this is a weird one because I probably watched Lost in Translation just after I lived in Tokyo the first time around. And it's aged, I would say, badly in as much as like Scarlett Johansson was 17 at the time of filming. She's supposed to be like 21 or something. Was she 17? She was 17. She's supposed to have graduated Yale or one of the Ivy League schools. And I guess like Bill Murray's about 50, which obviously by modern standards is not going to sit well. But the thing that surprised me now this time around is like the fact that so much of the humor is literally just L and R pronunciation stuff is kind of mad now. Yeah. Like that didn't seem too bad 20 years ago. And now even me, I'm like... Is that, what, is that what it is? Is this all it is? Is it going lip, lip my tights? It's the, pretty mad that you that she managed to make a whole film off of that. Yeah. There's not a lot to it, watching it. It really does feel like somewhat... This is, I think uh, Lost in Translation has been hurt by the internet of just 
in a in a not pre-internet age, but obviously in two thousand and three, the internet was not what it is now. But it's so like familiarity with foreign places and foreign cultures is just not the same thing. Mm. So like Sofia Coppola going to Tokyo for the first time, wild. It, it, yeah, it's not the same yeah, thing, yeah. and I understand because I did it like the same sort of time, like two thousand and three. Like I, I remember going there for the first time and going like it's so different. But I think that's just I'm gonna make now. a film about this. Yeah, look at Daddy, me do you know any movie stars? <laughs> I'm gonna get Scarlet. I just think it's it has aged badly. It's quite funny because as I said, I've seen it a lot of times. I walked out of that in the cinema. Is that because you were so aroused that you just had to leave? Kind of, but not in the way that you're thinking. I like me and my mate were just so horny to instead like just go to a pub and talk to ladies. For real, that's is that it? So was it? It wasn't uh, like Cormac a knock O'Brien, on the If film. you're listening, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, um, no, no, no. It, it was like boring, and we were, despite the fact we were bored into movies. How old were you at the time? It's been quite young. Seventeen, sixteen, something like that. Well, you were looking to Scarlett Johansson. She's your equal. Yeah, but the cinema was packed, and we were all like, "Let's go to a pub where we can literally talk to ladies and maybe smooch them." And what happened? I'm pretty sure I had sex with all of them. I assume so. <laughs> Literally every single one. Pretty sure that's what went down. Um, no, I watched the film a few years after that. Uh, I got the buzz. I did enjoy it. Um, then I watched it again a few years after that. And what I mean to say is probably a few years ago. Uh, so I've maybe seen it two and a half times. But I remember the last time watching it going, yeah, I can see how this would have appealed to an 18-year-old of my era. That's what it is. Yeah. I just think it's, yeah, it's lost in time. Anyway, that was it. Does the whispering something that nobody can, because uh, I remember that, I remember, I do remember thinking that was quite effective. But you know that that's like, people have slowed that down and like. What does he say? It's quite wanky. It's like uh, something basically saying like, you know, go, go and fucking Live your yeah. life spectacularly. Something like that. Yeah, okay, it's okay. like, go and shag a bunch of guys. That's what I would have said, Dara. Tell me about it. Write me emails. <laughs> That's what he said. He, was, he said... Write me no, emails about their hot teenage cops. He whispered uh, in her ear. He went, I put Isn't Seth. her husband Giovanni went, Ribisi? Yeah, he <laughs> said, I put Seth Green in a bin. <laughs> I dangled and him over the bin. everyone got hard. I yeah. got hard. <laughs> Oy. Yes, exactly. And I tell you what, young Giovanni Ribisi, he looks fucking 12. Yeah, he looks geez, super young. And not, because she looks smoking in that movie. And she's, yeah, <laughs> she's 17. And he looks young. Okay, okay, okay. But here, tell me this and tell me no fucking more. What did you think of Ryan Coogler's and Chadwick Boseman? He kind of owns it a no. bit too. Fair enough. Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Better yet. What do you think I thought about it? I have no idea of what you... Th- I genuinely have no idea what you thought. All right. What do you think I thought? I would predict you're on the same page as me. I'll reveal... <laughs> that's controversial. I know. Okay, I'll tell you. I went in... So I looked up on Reddit. I, lo- I went through a little bit of seeing people's issues with the film. I didn't. I think that was a good thing because I expected very little... And I actually really liked this film. It was way darker than I thought it was going to be. I think the Namor character, I liked all, I liked all of his people. There's elements, it, it certainly has problems. There's elements of going like, you need to kill the scientist, really? 
Is are you sure about that? There's there there are problems throughout the film, and obviously it's dealing with like the death of Chadwick Boseman. Mm. But I think the the characters that they chose to to carry on the story were interesting. I like Ryan Coogler's films. I like the action. I I liked it way more than I thought I was going to. The first 10, 15 minutes, I was going like, ugh, another fucking Marvel film. I don't want to do this. But I got on board. I got on board pretty quickly. and I, was I got like, on board very quickly also. But in the end, I didn't like it. Interesting. What was your problem? Well. Why are you a racist? Go ahead. <laughs> Tell us. So I did love the first half an hour. You said you were a bit... That was a part part I didn't like. I loved... I thought, particularly when the Namor's people are approaching the boats, I thought... Yeah, that was great. This is spooky. This is effective. Like horror movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the body count is quite high. That was that's one of the things I liked. Yeah, me too. Later on as well, they kill so many people. There's a real sense of threat. Yes. Yeah, I would agree with that. So... And actually, to be fair, no, the best the the best things about the movie are showcased in the first half an hour. I think it's shot brilliantly. He's got a real fluid camera, real kind of bold color palette. It like feels cartoonish, but it's it's there and it's real. The music in this film, fantastic. One of the best things in it. And you're normally a music guy, and I can see in your face you didn't even notice it. I thought the music was I didn't notice it. It's uh, Ludwig Göransson. It's uh, a friend of uh, Ryan Coogler's. They went to college together. Oh, really? I thought yeah, the music yeah, yeah. was fucking he's, he's, excellent. Uh, he's, uh, I think he's really coming up. He's doing a lot of stuff. He's a Swedish, uh, Swedish guy, Swedish composer. I thought the music was noticeably good. But, I mean, he's the same guy who did the first film. I thought... But there's a similar themes throughout. By the way, how were you in the, the of, first whoop, film? Whoop, like, whoop. The, first, the first film is fine, is how I would describe it. I think... It's fine point five. I liked, I liked the first film. I think one of the biggest issues was it was obviously representing like a group of people that hadn't been portrayed in like a, yes. a superhero film sure, like sure, that sure, before. Sure. We talked about this last week. Slightly. You don't remember anything that we talk about, but... What do we talk about? Speaking about Blackula, of just saying, like, representation on screen. No, I remember that conversation. There's something about Black Panther, obviously, like... I mean, I'm assuming for, like, uh... As a matter of fact, I think I brought it up, Andy. How dare you accuse me of being Wait, racist? I, hey, listen, <laughs> I see your face. I wasn't calling you racist. I'm saying that I see your face right now. You looked like you were like, what the fuck are you okay, talking okay, about? Okay, okay, okay. But, um... Yeah, I, I just think the first film had its issues as well. I thought it was a completely serviceable, absolutely fine entry into the Marvel Universe. Far better yes. than some of the Agreed. shite that came afterwards. Far Agreed. better than the, your Black Widows and your yes, Eternals yes, yes. and all totally, this shit. Totally, totally, totally. I think... No, I like the Eternals. But uh, you're wrong. I, I prefer the first Black Panther film. I think it was is a solid film. I like Wallace, having Wallace as a baddie. <laughs> yeah, solid. Yeah, yeah. Where Wallace at? He's in Wakanda. Yeah, where Wallace? He's got. He has again. And all similar they needed t- was for Stringer Bell to show up, kill Wallace, and take control of the country That's of Wakanda. Right. Should have <laughs> come, body. come down <laughs> on the on that rainbow bridge thing that they use. Yeah, I just think like it was. You've got an actual uh, like a a solid villain. Everyone understands these motivations. You've got good actors throughout. I the plot was. Interesting. I mean, I, I I definitely liked the first film. I just felt 
that some people were going over the top with praise, they, they were, which was annoying. They it was were, annoying because you're like, because I was happy to go like, it's a good film. It's not the fucking best film that's see, ever. I think this film suffers from that reaction. And here's why. Okay. It's very fucking specific. I think the ball gets dropped pretty quickly. Okay. Now I'm about to drop some hot ones. Let me let me just say this. I would say that the reaction to the second film is quite lukewarm. Yes, it is. Okay, totally. Fire right. So, are you talking about critical reception? No, or are no, you no, talking no, no, about no, no. your? No, no, no. I'm talking about how they approach the film. Oh, okay. Based on the reaction to the first one. Ah, uh, okay. And based okay. on the reception of it. So, look, I'm going to use a, 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 a harsh word here, but I don't <laughs> mean it too badly. The film is racist. Now, that's fine. I do genuinely mean that. That is fine. It's just the idea that so the Wakandans would discover this technology and be the most powerful nation in the in the world, and just not lean into it in the nineteenth century when everyone was doing stuff like that. Fuck off. Take a break. Whatever. But as I said, wait, no, it's wait, fine. but which, but which part? Because that's what they get called out on in the first film. No, is like not being involved during the twentieth century. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, like, that's that's the thing. is like, they're still guarded against their technology. That's the opening of the film. And you've got, like, Britain and America and France going, <laughs> I want your technology. And it's like, come on, guys. Can you give us some 20th century credit? I know it's not a real country, but whatever. Like I said before, I genuinely think that's fine. I would like to see more films set in Ireland in the 70s where every British person was just a psychopathic maniac. <laughs> I get it. I it's do... Accurate. I do fucking get it. I like, and then also it promotes a dumb view of history, which is also fine. The Mayans versus the Spanish shit. Like far more interesting about that story is the fact that the Spanish were easily able to collaborate with everybody who hated the Mayans and the Aztecs and the Incans because they were all just sick of them because the Incans and the Mayans and the Aztecs were the colonialists of that continent which is a real and interesting story, which they don't go into. But again, I say it is fine. Just use that material and make your story. What ruins it is this giant effort to tie it all to modern geopolitics and curl it up with America trying to hunt after stuff like blah, 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 blah. This is what I'm saying is fine about it. It's fine if you do all that stuff. But don't do all of that sort of stuff and make this film 50 Okay, maybe forty, maybe fifty minutes too long. I don't. I did, way too long. I saw so many people saying that the length never bothered me. I did. When's not the last have time you watched Avatar? Because you shit on that film relentlessly. I saw that film in the cinema. I recently. never said the length. I don't think I had. It any moves shot of like the length. A, at a clip at we, and to be fair, it shares story elements with this. Yeah, but yeah, it yeah. It does something with them. It's so action packed. That's it's funny. so story packed. I did not think uh, this film did not drag for me at all. For me, it, I could not believe how much bullshit they wasted on all the Julia Louise Driver stuff. And Do you know what? I, I, if you're talking about racism, I would say that that whole CIA plot was thrown in for like, here's something for white. Like, I genuinely feel like they were... I, and here's the one way to look at it. They've I got, think you're you, wrong. You've got two characters interacting. One is the main. One is one of the main characters from the UK office and one's from Seinfeld. <laughs> it's like, white, he's going to love this. <laughs> <laughs> I I think you're wrong. I think they're just trying to connect. No, I mean it's also. I know I, I'm 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 being slightly facetious I think, here. I think it's, it's for future. They're tying tying in future. Um, they're trying to connect the dots properties. and shit on people and make 
give a geopolitical element and critique to a film that's essentially about, and this is what I wanted it to be about, and it would have been much better if it was about... I have two other faults that I would name, but it would have been much better if it had just been... It's a film about men from the sea attacking men from the fucking land. It, it like it did not need to have the heaviness it had. Now here are the other two major problems, and I do just think these are major problems. I'll say this: I give this as a compliment to films that I have disliked. I say, well, I was never bored. I was definitely bored during this. Why well, I I wasn't. And the two major factors in the fucking boredom were number one. The action was not good. I thought it was good. The, I mean, my criticism Disagree of the action would be to have a set piece which is in the middle of the ocean on top of a big ship. I mean, just that feels like cutting corners and being like, okay, I don't want anything in Dude, the background. they had a three-vehicle chase across a bridge that was dull as fuck that you could, I couldn't tell what was happening. Oh, I, I, I don't feel that way. What was your screening like, though? Because I went to like a, a nice cinema... Dolby Atmos. It wasn't the best screen, I'll admit that. Uh, one thing, uh, to be fair, one thing that I advised uh, a mate of mine from work, shout out Phenomena, he asked, is a work going to see Phenomena uh, about Black Panther? And I said, I didn't enjoy that much, but I did get the feeling that if I was in row six in Phenomena in the middle, it might have been better, uh, which I, I would... I would say. What was what was the problem? Was it just a shit screen? Or? No, it was an all right screen. I think it was just. I don't think the action was great. <laughs> I think that was what I no, mean. no, but I just, I just, I, I'm, I don't mean like in terms of criticism. Like I don't mean that I'd would have solved anything. I'm just saying the wall against which good, you lean right now would be about one quarter of the screen. Fucking hell, Jesus! So you're in one of the little rooms. Hold on. So. This times four, you understood that. Yeah, that's yeah. fucking tiny. It is small by comparison to... Yeah. That is a tiny... I watched it on a fucking big screen Dolby Atmos thing. So you would have watched it about 16 times this back wall. Basically. I hope so. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Anyway, the other major problem... No, minor problem. The action was the major problem for me. It's no fun at all. How much of that is to do with the death of Chadwick Boseman? None. You think so? I think that hangs over they give events their tribute. the entire time. At the start and the end. They give their tribute at the start at the end. The characters attempt humor throughout. It falls flat. Now, to this I will say, what, I will give, say to you. Give me an example and I'll... All the stuff about her makeup and shit. People were laughing. Yeah, I, I, listen, I'm on your side on that part. People were laughing in my screening. And also, I was like, did a gay yeah, thing happen near the end? Because somebody yelled out a shout in my screening, and I was like, what did it get? It was like, a, did, was there a gay kiss or something on the screen? I didn't notice it if it was. This is actually worth us looking up right now. No, I, I, who? Between who? There, there, okay, There's no. a certain kind of scream that um, goes out with a gay kiss. <laughs> that It sounded like that. And I was like, what? Did I miss something? I was kind of bored near the end. Okoye gets together with the one from I mean Destroy, Destroy you. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there is a gay smooch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're the two of the ladies from the army end up together. Nice. At the end. Smoochy boochies. No, I thought any of the attempts at humor kind of f- fell flat. And then you no, that I, I would agree with that, but like that didn't bother me. But I didn't even really pay attention to that. The thing is you can still tell in the midst of all of, in the midst of all of this that had the script been tightened, this is for me and from my point of view, had the script been tightened, it, it would have been back up to four-star Marvel movies for me because he's a great director. But I tell you this, when I was walking out of it, not only was I making comparisons to Avatar, but I was also thinking to 
and I really, this film is might be putting the nails in in the Marvel thing for me. But I was thinking back to the likes of Infinity War and Endgame, which I think are absolutely fabulous films. And the thing is, they managed to keep their silliness, jokey cake, and eat it too by just they're quite long, but they're jam packed full of plot. Fucking what's happening in this? Nothing. And I don't care. And I actually prefer that the story is isolated from the outside Marvel world. I'm not that interested in that at the moment. But I just want it to be interesting, tight, the action to be good. None of that did it for me. Failed ultimately, was very interesting in one or two moments, but ultimately not. Not for me. All right, let me go through the plot a little and we can talk Let's about do. it. Let's do T'Challa, King of Wakanda, is suffering from an illness which his sister Shuri believes can be cured by the heart-shaped herb. I didn't realize at the start that that was like a reference to like the fact that Killmonger had burned all of those heart-shaped herbs in the previous film. Neither did I until I, they, that wasn't, they, yeah, it wasn't, I, they, they, they said did, it later in the yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember they did then. tie it back around, but I was like, I had no idea what the fuck was going on. It, but they also, it feels like they were kind of talking about like Chadwick Boseman having cancer, but not telling people throughout the film. Yeah, but do you catch that too? I was like, that's kind of, that feels a bit fucked up. Also, Chadwick Boseman's brother, I think, said that they should have just like recast the part. Because he wouldn't have had the type of ego to be like, ah, oh, yeah, fuck it, this needs to die with me. So to be fair, shout out Chadwick Boseman because he didn't want it to go down this way. Fair play, yeah. So yeah, Shuri attempts to synthetically recreate the herb after it was destroyed by Killmonger. That's again, is not clear at that point in time. But fails to do so before he succumbs. One year later, Wakanda's under pressure from other nations to share the vi- their vibranium, with some parties attempting to steal it by force. French. Well, you know. Who do you who are you gonna who are you gonna suspect? Queen Ramonda implores Shuri to continue her research on the heart shaped herb. She looking well, by the way. How old is Angela Bassett? That's a good question. She does look good. Not at the end when she's face down in water. She is sixty four. What the hell? She's got a photo here on her profile on Wikipedia from twenty fifteen and she does not look in her fifties. Late fifties. Showing You know? Married to Courtney B. Vance, which I respect anyone who's got a middle initial. Yeah, agreed. Queen Ramonda implores Shuri to continue her research on the heart-shaped herb, hoping to create a new Black Panther that will defend Wakanda. But she refuses due to her belief that the Black Panther is a figure of the past. Now, this there's a lot of people commenting online about the irony of Shuri having to put on a mask and thinking that science is king and that like old school traditions are don't have any value. And the reason for that is because the, the Oh, because act- of her stuff. the actress ah, is okay. like a big COVID denier. Fucking retards. Anti-vaxxer. You can keep retards in there, by the way. <laughs> Which I, but I do think that is quite funny, though, that she's like, I mean, I'm saying that be because I'm thinking, like my immediate thought was, read a Marvel comic, you idiots. But like the fact is that Marvel... Marvel Comics, as opposed to DC Comics, are always about science. It's always science. I know, but I'm just saying it's quite funny that it's, it's, it is her, funny, yes. it's her specifically who's forced to do all this stuff. And apparently she was quite hard work to deal with on set. So And she, it looks like it. she's uh, there for good now. Well, yeah, they positioned her. Wow, we'll see. In the Atlantic Ocean, the CIA and U.S. Navy SEALs utilize a vibranium detecting machine to locate a potential vibranium deposit underwater. The expedition is attacked and killed by a group of blue-skinned, water-breathing superhumans led by Namor. By the way, I, one thing we forgot to bring up altogether. 
But like, I imagine what's going on in the filmmaking world isn't that much under wraps between parties, specifically parties owned by the same company. Do you mean Disney? I mean, Disney. And do you think that, to be fair, I imagine James Cameron's a pretty confident man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does feel like it's stealing a bit of uh, Avatar, Waters, Blind Robin, like... Uh, like I'm sure J- James Cameron has the cur- uh, like the confidence in his own material, and by the way, he should three times in the world highest grossing film of all time. He should, but like at the same time, it's like boys, are you for real? You didn't know I was doing blue lads underwater gripping onto whales. Yeah, you really didn't know. Yeah, well, fuck him. The expedition is attacked and killed by a group of blue-skinned, water-breathing superhumans led by Namor, with the CIA believing Wakanda to be responsible. Namor it's confronts... It's actually Tamora Morrison, isn't it? What's that? Tamora Morrison. Fett, isn't it? Who? The big muscly fella. Of oh, the, is that Tamora Morrison? I would oh, say so. I thought that was just a guess on my part, but uh, I haven't cast-checked. I don't see his name in here anywhere. Oh, okay. Namor confronts Ramonda and Shuri, easily bypassing Wakanda's advanced security... Blaming Wakanda for the vibranium race, he gives them an ultimatum. Deliver him the scientist responsible for the vibranium detecting machine, or he will attack Wakanda. Shuri and Okoye learn from CIA agent uh, Tim from the office that the scientist in question is MIT. No, 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 no. no. It's CIA agent Bilbo Baggins. (laughs) Okay, well, you could. Everett K. Ross, thanks. That the scientist in question is MIT student Riri Williams. The group is pursued by the FBI and then by Namor's warriors who defeat Okoye before taking Shuri and Williams underwater to meet Namor. That's a fucking... They've jumped a lot there. Can I just say, I oh. am looking forward to these starting to fail a bit. Because they... You you said the the reception was lukewarm to this. I've only looked at the money and it hasn't reached its projections. Yeah. It's uh, at the moment it costs two hundred and fifty thousand, two hundred fifty uh, million dollars. It won't lose money, like, but no, no, but it, it's grossed about three hundred and fifty currently, which they would have expected uh, about double that. By they want to get. They expect. They want this to get up to like a billion. Mm. That's the concept. That's the idea. But. And you know me, I'm in my corner, root, uh, like a Man United fan, rooting for James Cameron, going fucking show him, James. Well, but this is not taking money away from James Cameron. No one's. No one is watching this and going like, "Wow, I've had my." fill of blue underwater people no 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 but i'm saying when james gets back to the cinema he's gonna show he's gonna show marvel who's boss oh, all over again well we'll see angered by okoye's failure to protect shuri ramonda strips her of her title as general of the dora milaji is that how that's pronounced that that scene gave me a, a like another indicator of you know my age because i was totally on the queen's side yes yes uh well i because, was like what, because she failed in her job or what and also, she, to be fair, the queen made a mistake as well, but she implored the queen to let her take the princess along. Her, the security chief of yeah. Wakanda? I mean, inside or outside the world of comic books, it doesn't matter. Yeah, you deserve to lose your job. As a matter of fact, you you should have been supplicant to say, please take my job away from me. I fucking That's suck true. It. That's true. She shouldn't have uh, begged Angered by Okoye's failure to protect Shuri, Ramonda strips over her title as general of the Dora Malaji and seeks out Nakia, who has been living in Haiti since the blip. By the way, I have to give up. I just, man, how hot is Lupita Nyonga? Oh yeah, that's who that is, who plays Nakia. Good God, she's a very attractive lady. 
Namor shows Shuri his vibranium-rich underwater kingdom of Talokan, which he has protected for centuries from discovery by the world. Bitter at the surface world for enslaving the Maya, Namor proposes an alliance with Wakanda against the rest of the world, but threatens to destroy Wakanda first if they refuse. By the way, I referred to this earlier in the podcast. When the Spanish arrived, it was easy for them to take down the Mayans because they were just making deals with local tribes going, yeah, you know the way the Mayans fucking suck? Not to say the Spanish were that much better afterwards, but to imply the Mayans as victims is horseshit. Total horseshit. Donica Tiernan, very much the David Irving of the (laughs) uh, the Mayan Empire. So please do seek other sources. Man, 600, 6 million. It's still (laughs) terrible. All right. Nakia helps Shuri and Williams escape. They call her Williams, Riri Williams or Williams. I keep thinking she's a tennis player. Nakia helps Shuri and Williams escape and Namor retaliates with an attack against Wakanda, during which Ramonda drowns, saving Williams. Remember that? Remember when the queen drowned? Yes. They've really taken a huge um, action sequence and turned it into a sentence here. Yeah. I'm just saying. Because it is is actually, that's the best action sequence in the film. This, this is the thing. I'm reading this off of Wikipedia. The problem is when a, a film is quite new, yeah, the, yeah. the people who are writing Wikipedia plot synopses are, let's say, enthusiastic at best, mentally subpar at worst. <laughs> but at the same time, I can't remember exactly what happens after that. Well, I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. What, I mean, I can keep going. Namor vows to return in a week with his full army because you give people a week. And the citizens of Wakanda relocate to the Jabari Mountains. Ah, yes, 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 yes. What about poor old Winston Duke? I like him as a character. I know, he's good, isn't he? And he gets uh, relegated to not really doing much for most of the film. Yeah, no, no, I I do think he could have uh, taken more front and centre. I think he's fun whenever he's on screen. I I think if Chadwick Boseman hadn't died, he would have had a larger role. You're probably right, yeah, that sounds about right. I think he got slammed. By the way, um... I would like to uh, put it down for uh, any shade I threw at the first film, or indeed this film. Um, I thought Chadwick Boseman was fucking great in that role. He was a breath of fresh air to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and in both of the non-Black Panther films he appeared in. This was his fifth film, like it would have been his fifth. It was his fifth film in the contract of five films. So hold on, I'm Black only Panther thinking of Civil one, War. Civil War. Avenger, oh. the two of Yeah, okay, 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 okay. So I, I'm thinking of the three and films that Infinity I think he's War. incredible yeah. in are Civil War and the t- Infinity War and Endgame. Yeah. I think he's great in those. Meanwhile, Ross is arrested by his ex-wife and CIA director Valentina Allegra de Fontaine for secretly engaging classified intelligence with the, with the Wakandans. Oh, no. Using a remnant of the herb that gave Namor's people their superhuman ability, Shuri reconstructs the heart-shaped herb and ingests it. Gaining superhuman abilities and meeting Killmonger in the ancestral plane. Oh yes, that's right. Who urges her to seek revenge? I I like that, like because there was definitely part of me going, "Is this going to be CGI Chadwick?" Because that would be bad. Yeah, I'm glad they didn't make that decision. And then when they pull out uh, old Michael B. Jordan, it just feels like, all right, good. There, Wallace. It's nice. Yeah, exactly. There's Wallace doing very well for himself. After getting gunned down by Bodhi, Bodhi and, and uh, Poot. Poot all those years ago, he's doing very well for him. A man who's been to the gym more than once. Shuri dons a new Black Panther suit and is accepted by the other Wakandan tribes as the Black Panther. Despite M'Baku's urges for peace, Shuri is determined to exact vengeance on Namor for Ramonda's death and orders an immediate counterattack on Talokan, preparing for battle 
with Io assuming the position of general of the Dora Milaje. Shuri bestows the midnight angel armor upon Okoye. The horrible Sonic the Hedgehog meets Predator armor. Oh, yeah. Now that's I presume lo- that's from the comics. It's such a horrible design. It's I got don't to know. be from the comics. I don't know. A lot of the Reddit comments on this film were talking about how bad the armor was. I didn't care that much. I don't care I, at all. But I do think it is a bit shit. Yes. But like, uh, I don't care. Who in turn recruits Dora member Aneka to join her? Williams creates an Iron Man-esque powered exoskeleton to aid the Wakandan. She's smart. She's a smart girl. The Wakandans lure Namor and his warriors to the surface as a battle ensues. Shuri traps Namor in a fighter aircraft intending to dry him out and weaken him. Yeah. I hate when I get all dried out. Yeah, no, I know. I agree. That was a good way to give him flaky skin. Yeah. The pair crashes on a desert beach and fight. Right. This fight, I, there's, there's a very similar fight in the first film, I think. I don't know what. I mean, like, Ryan Coogler obviously was coming off the back of Creed. I feel like he had... He's accustomed to capturing one-on-one hand-to-hand combat. Hmm. I feel like there's a really similar fight. Well, in the he first likes film. swooping his camera around. That, he like does. That. He yeah, loves. Yeah. He loves the swoop. Old Kugels. Shuri gains the upper hand, but realizes the similarities between their paths and implores Namor to yield, offering him a peaceful alliance. Namor accepts, and the battle ends. All right, that's good. Mm-hmm. Namor's cousin Namora is upset and Namor surrender. But Namor reassures her that their new alliance will allow them to conquer the surface world one day. Oh, okay, so they've he was just he was just saying he was okay with Son it. Son of a bitch. He's a bastard. I will say, in fairness to this actor, Tenoch Huerta, I'd never seen him before, a Mexican uh, actor. Yeah, he's, he's very he's, good. He's good. He's very good. He's very good. He's very good, yeah, yeah, I agree. One of the best things in the film, actually. Definitely. I thought I saw him and I was like, who the fuck is this guy? Yeah. Anytime he's on screen, it's good. Yeah, yeah. He's very charismatic. Williams returns to MIT, leaving her suit behind while Okoye rescues Ross from captivity. In Shuri's absence, M'Baku steps forward to challenge for the throne. Shuri visits Nakia in Haiti, where she burns her funeral ceremonial robe in accordance with Ramonda's wishes, allowing herself to finally grieve T'Challa. I thought, I'll tell you this, I thought that ending was quite a bit of a downer and a, a number of people walked out before the mid credit scene and they must have just been going out going like oh well oh Chadwick's dead oh hey, for anybody listening right now who's not familiar with the grammar of Marvel movies you look up beforehand how long you have to stay yes which I had and There's I knew I only, only had to one, stay for one scene well, yeah exactly me too I checked that out I didn't so there was a bunch of losers there waiting after I left I was like, yeah uh, there's nothing well I, to be fair in my cinema they switched on the lights oh after the mid-credits scene no. to there, and they tell people, like, get the uh, Yeah, I didn't care about the credit scene at all. I was happy to see Lupita Nyong'o again, because she's an extraordinary, beautiful lady. Well, here is the mid- in a mid credit scene, Shuri learns that Nakia and T'Challa had a son named Toussaint. Which means they had, like, full-on raw dog sex. Yeah, that is that is correct. That's how that happens. Come. Who Nakia has been raising in secret far from the pressure of the throne. <clears throat> Toussaint reveals his Wakanda name is T'Challa. But I think, uh, yeah, I just thought that was funny. Like, it ended on such a downer because they had that mid credit scene. But Ryan Coogler said they felt like they couldn't put uh, some post credit scene because they did. They wanted to maintain that, you know, they didn't, they didn't want to put anything Chadwick. else. On the, yeah, they didn't want to put anything else after that. But I do find it funny that some people just walked out with her, you know, with um, Shuri Singh on the beach going, yeah, Chadwick Boseman's dead. 
Don't forget about that. But we were supposed to have another nice little moment of going like, you know ah, what? but he's Man, been replaced. Around the time that Chadwick Boseman died, I rewatched. Uh, no, I, I watched 42 for the first time and I rewatched Get On Up. And I think he was a f- fucking fantastic actor. I really do. I think he was great in Black Panther, but I, I would have been looking forward more to seeing him in other things. I watched 42. I don't, I mean, I don't have... Any strong memories of it, particularly? A racist? Uh, no, I mean, it was a good film. It's a good, it's a solid baseball film. Made but, me cry. Uh, wow. I remember not expecting to cry and being surprised by my own tears, and it was down fair to enough. his performance. Uh, so, yeah, fair play to him. Fair play to you. Um, I think we've reached the end of this. There's nothing else to say. We definitely have. We don't know what we're doing next for a new one, but uh, no. for an old one next week, it's uh, Atlantic, Atlantic City and City. one from the heart. Yeah. I got them both. Which, uh, won't give away which, but uh, I've watched one already. Ooh, spoilers. I've watched neither. Ah, lazy. Exactly. All right, well, uh, nothing left to say, but uh, I love you. I love you too. Bye. Bye. It's just another night. Just another fight for my life. It's all right because everything dies. Nobody know why. What's in a good do? What do you go do when you're feeling like you're falling and you can't find nothing to hold on to?